where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you, Mr. Intro. Bonnie D. in the house, happy to be here. This is a topic today we've covered a couple times a year, and it's almost the last day of February 2024. And I said, how can I start the year without talking about the future of drones? Is there one on your roof, your porch, your beach? Alex, I'm talking to you. Is there one somewhere in sight? Do you want to have a drone? Is it going to do something for you? Where is it going? Flying high. So I've invited five experts on drones. We have a packed house today. Very happy to be here. To my panelists, before I introduce you, would you please wave hello to LinkedIn, wave hello to LinkedIn, and wave hello to Facebook twice, and wave hello to YouTube. I added YouTube. That's a surprise. And wave hello virtually to Voice America Business Channel, and our engineer today is Matt. We're happy to have him. So let me start with my little poem. It's not a big poem today because we have so many people. It would have just gone on forever. And I want to read a poem I co-wrote with ChatGPT. Now, Chris is new to the show, and I'll introduce you in a second, and he's going to be a little bit surprised. So here we go. When I call your name, wave hello. So welcome, dear audience, to a world in flight where drones and AI dance a futuristic sight in the realm of technology where dreams take whim, wing. Five savvy futurists, their wisdom will sing or ring or bring, whichever one you want there. When I call your name, Stephen C. Philpott Sr., visionary in urban transportation, drones and air taxis are his revelation. I hope you like that, Stephen. Chuck Byers, 100 plus patents on the tech frontier and counting innovation profound, creating without fear. Chuck, I hope you like that. Just a brief one. Alex Backer is here, Drizzt Guru. On drones, vast sea, navigating possibilities where visions roam free. Alex, I hope you like that one. And then we go to Martin Stanzig, a visionary in the tech domain. His insights unfold a futuristic refrain. That means you can start singing now, Martin. And then we have Chris Holmes, who's new to the show, a LIDAR expert aligned with AI's AI show in the symphony of progress where dreams will grow. Chris, I hope you like that. Nothing but potential there. There you go. With Bonnie <laughs> D, your host and guide in this aerial ballet where fresh ideas coincide. Drones and AI, a duet in the sky, a harmonious dance as possibilities fly. Buckle up, dear audience, as we take flight on Technology Revolution Radio. Innovation will ignite. What'd you think? Did you like it? Can I get some? Can I get some thumbs up, everybody? I worked. Look, look! I got fireworks already. I worked very hard on that. Does anybody know how long it takes for ChatGPT to? Once I put in your bios and I put in a little bit of my intro, how long it takes to get the poem back that I will then edit? Anybody know how long? Seventy-five seconds. Seventy-five. Okay. Anybody else want to bid? Chris, how long do you think? Well, I had a friend of mine write a proposal the other day in five minutes, and he's not a writer, so less than five minutes. Five minutes. Alex, how long did it take? Yeah, I think Chuck is right on. I'll say 73 seconds, 72. Okay. Stephen, how long? 20 seconds. How many? 20. 20. Martin? Yeah, I would go with Stephen, something like 20 to 30. Okay. 
do you all know how to count to three and the clock <laughs> clock count? 1,001, 1,002. Before it hit three seconds, that poem was there. And then I took a couple wow. minutes to edit it. It is that fast. I thought somebody here knew. I usually do this on my shows. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So here we go. I'd like to have each of you please give a full introduction to who you are. Stephen, we're going to start with you. I'm putting you on full screen speaker view. Please condense your full life and everything you have to do with drones into less than three minutes, Stephen. I'm not clocking you, but if you see me do this, it means, you know, that's enough. Okay, Stephen, welcome back. It's been a long time. Go ahead. Introduce yourself. Sure. I'm uh, Steve Philpott, the Chief Technology Officer for Roberta Sky. Um, I got started in drones about seven years ago when I ran an um, incubator for innovative entrepreneurs. And one of the entrepreneurs had an idea that had to do with drones. And we found that there was no real roadway. Where would the drones fly? How would they fly? What would be the rules? What was the FAA doing? And we found a gap. So I actually got my uh, FAA pilots or drone operator's license. Um, and then about a year later, began developing a training program uh, where I developed the, uh, it's a commercial drone pilot program for Chicago Urban League and Eastern Massachusetts Urban League. We have about uh, 25 licensed pilots under our belt. Uh, my focus is in uh, tapping into new industries. And I found drone to be a component of transportation and an opportunity for various cities to increase their tax base. So what we're doing now is really building out the commercial infrastructure and bringing in operators that could potentially uh, help drive the development of commercial drone utilization in cities around the United States as well as in Europe. Thank you very much. Glad to see so much success. You and I, you've been on my show, I think about two or three years ago. I'm happy to have you back and glad to have the update. Thank you very much. Oh, who's next? Chuck Byers. Are we up over 100 patents yet? Are you are you patenting a couple things while we're on the show? I can't keep up with you. Chuck, I did the regular audience regular audience panelist-ometer this morning. I ran it for you and Martin uh, and Alex, okay? And I found out that there are exactly 18.6734 people in the world who don't remember you, Chuck. I'm so sorry to tell you that. Don't be offended. So please reintroduce yourself, to, especially to the, the, the decimals. They really want to know. Chuck, welcome back. Go ahead. Love that. Thanks, Bonnie. And uh, thanks to the audience for giving us a listen today. Uh, so I'm an electrical engineer by training. I taught the uh, computer control and instrumentation course at the University of Wisconsin for several semesters. I started my career at Bell Laboratories, where I made my way up to the stratospheric layer of Bell Labs Fellow. I worked for 10 years at Cisco, where I sort of got started working on drones, mostly because Cisco thought drones were a way to load up networks. They knew there was a lot of data flying around, and that sells switches and routers and optics, and that's always a good thing for Cisco. Uh, so I, I worked on uh, various uh, research projects at Cisco related to drone ground support infrastructures. You know, what, what does a drone land, land on to get recharged and sheltered and load and unload its cargo? I also worked on the equivalent of TSA for drones. So it's like, if you have a drone, you don't necessarily trust it. You know, how do you land it and frisk it and realize that it's not carrying anything nasty to send that on its way? That would be an interesting question. I also worked on lots of things related to identifying a drone and determining whether it's spoofing its identity. 
Um, after I left Cisco, I went to a company called Valkyrie, which is a startup company that makes drone landing stations and drone cargo delivery infrastructures. The idea, of course, is that a drone will land on this thing. It's seven foot tall with about a five foot landing square on top of it. The drone lands on it and it centers it and it loads some cargo into the belly of the drone and then it flies autonomously off to some other landing station where it can land and be unloaded. And then we shove that cargo into a locker waiting for a human to come and collect it. Just the tool for the job. If, for example, I want to deliver refreshments to the 14th green down in that golf course, or if I want to run pizzas from the best pizza parlor in the center of town out to the college dormitories. Um, or, of course, it's got more sophisticated uses like delivering medical devices, uh, defibrillators, narco pens, right where they're needed, exactly when they're needed. So I worked on that. Uh, also, as a CTO of another organization called the Industry IoT Consortium, we work on uh, digital transformation in the trustworthy Internet of Things. Uh, drones and AI, the tandem topics today, are certainly some of the most potent technologies for transforming pretty much every industry in the world. And uh, we're talking about that. Uh, my patent scoreboard right now is at 134 with about another 20 or so pending in various stages. So, uh, you know, I don't know, I don't know how far I'm going to go in my career before you drop that microphone. But uh, <laughs> I think I've got a few more ideas left in me. And having these kind of discussions certainly catalyzes me. So I'm looking forward to it. Thanks. Thank you, Chuck. I, I'm glad we're taking you getting 57 minutes plus the, the pre-show pre prep away from your uh, patent filing activities there. So thank you for your time. Let's go to Alex Backer. Alex, happy to see you. And why don't you tell us, uh, refresh us, what do you do? Thank you for having me, Bonnie. Uh, I was born and raised in Argentina, where I was national champion of informatics. Uh, I then moved to the U.S. to attend MIT. I was lucky enough to be named one of the top 100 technology alumni. I then um, got a convinced friend of mine who had a car to drive with me across the country uh, and Canada to come to California to attend Caltech, where I received a master's in computational neural systems and then a PhD in neuroscience. Um, I worked for three years um, in uh, research, what I call the Bits, Brains, and Genes Lab uh, between Sandia National Labs and Caltech. And then I got bitten by the California entrepreneurial bug and starting uh, started starting technology companies, first a company called Adapt Technologies. Then I uh, was a founding CEO of Cubeless, uh, which I grew to save hundreds of millions of users more time awaiting in line than all of recorded history. Um, and that um, was sold a couple of years ago. And I um, wrote a book for my uh, children called 101 Clues to a Happy Life um, and co-founded Drizzit. And um, Drizzit's mission is to give humans uh, the superpower of telepresence. Uh, we're, we're not into uh, making us a multiplanetary species. We're just making sure that we can be anywhere on the planet at any time and see anywhere on demand. And uh, we do that with a, a network, um, drone network that does for vision what uh, Alexander Graham Bell's telephone did for speech, allowing us to see anywhere on Earth on demand with a platform that allows you to teleoperate and live stream a drone anywhere in the world from any phone or computer anywhere else. And we work with uh, local governments, construction uh, companies, insurance companies, um, real estate uh, companies, security companies to help them have eyes in the skies and more recently brains in the skies too. 
Thank you very much. How's the book doing? I read it. You were on one of my other, you were on my creativity show a couple of years ago, Alex. I think I met you at the National Publicity Summit when you were pitching your book. And then I discovered all of your, your drone interests and your drone company and invited you to come on the show. So I hope the book is doing well because it was delightful. Very, very nicely done. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, I had an interesting experience last year giving a keynote speech where I ended up with a block long uh, line of people waiting for a signature. So that was probably my favorite experience with the book so far. Very nice. Very, very nice. So let's go around the table. One more seat. Martin Stanzig, you're back. Talk to those point three something or other people. Go ahead, Martin. Hey, Welcome. <laughs> Welcome, and thanks for having me back, Bonnie. Always great to be on the show. Uh, yeah, my name is Martin Stenzik. I'm the global head for SAP's business technology platform at a company called Wipro. Um, but I also have a, a second job um, because we got acquired, Rising, the company that I was working with before I got acquired. And for that, I still am the chief technology officer. So in, in that context, I'm always looking for, you know, adopting new technologies to drive real business values for our for companies, uh, so um, so we're not just looking at at these things as toys or tools or just trying things out, but we're really looking for how do we create efficiencies in organizations by utilizing today we're talking about drones and AI and really sort of saving them millions millions of dollars on their day to day operations. So that's really what what we're here to to talk about today. Um, just to age myself, you know, I actually flew remote controlled airplanes way before they were called drones, you know, 35 years ago. So it's, it's funny that it, it comes full circle, um, with, uh, with a technology. Now, lucky enough for me is like hobbies sort of turn into, into business matters and we can bring it together in a very nice session. So yeah, glad to be here. Thank you. Reminds me of my favorite French quote. Plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Right, Martin? Exactly. There you go. And now we have a brand new newcomer to the show. I met him, oh, about 18 minutes ago or 22 minutes ago. And he has a good sense of humor. And I can't wait to hear what he has to do with drones. Chris Holmes, so happy to have you. Welcome. And let's hear all about you. Chris, go ahead. Thank you, Bonnie. Uh, my name is Chris Holmes. I'm a, a LIDAR operations director at Rising, a Wipro company. Uh, most recent tasks involve the collection of LIDAR data, whether it, uh, servicing the transportation uh, market, um, utility market, but to capture um, terrestrial-based uh, or airborne LIDAR um, to uh, for the purpose of extracting the assets and the features within that mapping scene, so to speak. My uh, experience with drones or UAVs began in 2014, um, but it was an evolution of, of, of what where I came from, really. Um, my background is photogrammetry, uh, uh, remote sensing, uh, mapping from aerial photography, stereo-acquired aerial photography from manned fixed-wing aircraft. Back in 87 is when I began to, I became a stereo compiler or photogrammetrist. And I'm looking in this, in this analytical plotter all day long, looking at aerial photographs in three dimensions, um, mapping out roads, features, fences, uh, drainage, um, whatever the, the particular engineering client required at that time. And it was an eight hour a day job looking into almost uh, a pair of binoculars, so to speak. And I turned to one of my mentors, God rest his soul, Eddie Carson, and I said, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way. He said, Holmesy, there's no replacing the human eye. 
So 38 years later, I, I'd love to show Ed where AI has come uh, from here. Um, and and the ability to um, analyze data, of course, with LiDAR data, you have the X and the Y and the Z location. But there's also the fourth dimension, which allows modern softwares and AI to work, I think. And that's the intensity value that comes back from a LiDAR signature. Um, so it has come leaps and bounds. And, and Eddie Carson, the best mentor I ever had, I, I, like I said, I'd love to show him where we've, where we've come. And I'm sure he'd say, thank God I'm retired. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm I'm in awe of, of each of you. I've learned so much about so many things I just don't know much about or have never heard of before in the bio. So thank you so much. And I'm sure the audience is saying, wow, Bonnie's got quite a panel today, right, Martin? Yeah, usually do. But today I think you're over the top. So let's go to your opening quotes. I've asked each of you to pick a quote from a fictional character in a movie or TV show or a song lyric that has nothing specifically to do with AI, drones, technology, businesses, and you're going to relate it to the topic in your own words. So, Steve, I am. Um, may I call you Steve? You, I know you have Steve in there. Would you like to be called Steve? Steve okay. is great. Thank you. Steve is great. Okay, we're such good friends now. So, uh, Steve has sent a quote from uh, Apocalypto, a 2006 epic historical action-adventure film produced, written, co-written, and directed by Mel Gibson. The film features a cast of American Indian and indigenous indigenous Mexican actors, and I don't know the names of all these people, it portrays the hero's journey of a young man named Jaguar Paw, a late Mesoamerican hunter and his fellow tribesmen captured by an invading force. I'm going to stop there. And the quote is one word. I don't know which character said it. I think I, I saw the clip, Steve, but I didn't know the name of the character. Everybody ready? It's three words with an exclamation point. Chuck, you ready? Run! That's the quote. <laughs> Steve, how does this relate to our topic? Go ahead. <laughs> it's you know it's uh, so the guy uh, Jaguar Paw is having one of these intuitive dreams, and uh, in the dream, a character appears and just like Wayne is standing over him and yells, "Run!" And in the dream, it's just you know whatever. But when he wakes up, truly, it's now you know the Spanish conquest. So uh, to to give him the idea of, hey, you need to do something. That's what we feel every day as entrepreneurs in this segment. Um, and just like Jaguar, we don't know what to do. We just know we need to run. We don't know which direction. We don't know, you know what the threat or opportunity is. But every day I wake up to run. Personally, I wake up to do something, do something. And that's, you know, when you talk about drones and AI, there's so much opportunity there. There's so much fear, but there has to be this impetus to move. And so that's what we, that's, that's what I feel. That's what our company feels. And a lot of the people we work for feel we got to do something. We got to run. We got to do something. Thank you. I don't think I've had a one-word quote in years on this show. And I, I usually, oh, there's a three-word quote. There's a four-word Two-word. One. That was powerful, Steve. Thank you very much. Let's go to Chuck Byers. Chuck has picked a quote with a few more words in it. It's from <laughs> Karn, K-A-R-N, Evil 9, The First Impression, Part 2, 1973, Extended Musical Work by Progressive Rock Group, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. It's a Carnival 9 is a futuristic fusion of rock and classical themes written by band members Keith Emerson and Greg Lake with former King Crimson, 
King Crimson, you're making me tongue twist here, Chuck. King Crimson lyricist Peter Sinfeld. I'm going to leave it there. Here's the quote. Everybody listen up. I can't sing it because I don't know the melody. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside. Come inside. There behind a glass is a real blade of grass. Be careful as you pass. Move along. Move along. Come inside. The show's about to start. Guaranteed to blow your head apart. Rest assured you'll get your money's worth. The greatest show in heaven, hell, or earth. How'd I do, Chuck? Pretty good. Perfect. Not, not quite as good as ELP, but uh, nice job. Yes. And I, I think you. I probably borrowed a few uh, word allocations from Stephen because that was a long one. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Chuck. Explain to us, uh, please. Well, first of all, the drones and AI are the show that never ends. I really do believe it's going to blow your head apart, as the quote said, because the, so many unanticipated things are happening. So some good, some bad. We're going to focus mostly on the good ones today. Uh, I, I really think that it is an opportunity for you know civilization to sort of figure out where we want to go next. And, and AI and drones is the conjunction of... The, the sort of cerebral piece of that AI and in a, a very potent physical piece of that, meaning drones that can extend presence and deliver goods and, 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 and be where you can't be. That's, uh, that, that's the show that never ends. Um, the other thing that I just kind of liked about the, the, the tune and ELP in general is sort of the amount of technology. If you ever listen to the song, it's there's, there's sounds in there that you never heard before. Then you need to find out how those sounds were made. And um, they were made by a guy called Keith Emerson, who was one of the pioneers of using the Moog synthesizers. And there's this really famous picture of him up in front of two full racks of things. There must've been a thousand knobs on them and about 300 wires strung all over the place hooking those together and twiddling those thousand nubs just right is the way he made those sounds. I, I was thinking at the time, it's like, you know, that is like the coolest thing I've ever seen. The only thing cooler than that rack of synthesizer knobs is maybe the cockpit of the space shuttle or something. Uh, and it's amazing. So if you get uh, a chance to look for Keith Emerson modular synthesizer on the uh, internet, uh, take a look at that image search. It's quite spectacular. I will. And we got to get you on a space shuttle one of these days, Chuck. Uh, make more patents. <laughs> Sell more patents too late. Well, well, uh, James Kirk did it. Okay, so uh, what, whoever. Now, Alex Backer has picked a quote from a classical movie, Rick Blaine, the American expat played by Humphrey Bogart, Casablanca, 1942. I don't think anybody here was born by then. No, uh, nobody, nobody. I can attest to that. American romantic drama film. The quote is the last line of the film. Rick and Captain Louis Renault, played by Claude Rains, walk across the tarmac of the aerodrome away from the camera. And Bogart says this to the unscrupulous Vichy prefect of police who goes the way the wind blows. Here's the quote. Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Alex, interesting quote. Let's unpack this. What does this have to do with drones? Well, first of all, it's it's a movie I love. And second of all, it's a, it's a great quote, right? It talks about a beginning of something at the very end of a movie. Uh, third is a, it's a quote that I've used many times. You know, if, if I meet somebody and I think it's the beginning of a beautiful friendship, then this is a wonderful way to, uh, to refer to it. Uh, but fourth, you know, drones are, uh, some people fear drones and they're, they're afraid of drones and they're, uh, you know, because it's something in the air that has eyes or camera. Um, the reality is drones, you know, they're, they're really nothing more than a phone with, uh, you know, with some wings. And think about how many things you could do with a phone with wings. Um, and so I think that 
uh, we as a civilization need to start embracing drones even more and, and you know, become become friends with it. So I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship and that drones will save a lot of lives. Thank you very much. Looking forward to your predictions, too. Let's go to Martin Stenzig. Martin has, Martin has picked another classic quote. Pete Maverick Mitchell, played by the one and only Tom Cruise, and Nick Goose Bradshaw, played by Anthony Edwards. I remember her from the TV show ER. Remember with George Clooney and Juliana Margulies? Top Gun, 1986, American action drama film. And Cruise says the first part, and Goose joins in the second part. And here's the quote. I feel the need. That need for speed. Of course, Martin, talk to us. Go ahead. Yeah, I think I, I can dovetail right into what Stephen said. You know, I always tell my team, I want you to run. You know, even if you smack into the wall, I catch you, you know, but I don't want you to walk. I want you to run. And that sort of goes goes with that mentality. You know, we need to we need to be quick, we need to be fast. And yes, sometimes also fail fast, but at least we're we're discovering what the limits are very quickly. So that's sort of a, the whole concept. And then obviously. The whole aerial thing in Top Gun fits nicely into into the theme of the show. So I figured it's, it's a good combination to use. Thank you very much. Very popular quote. We appreciate that. And Chris Holmes has sent a quote from a song from Northern Irish singer-songwriter Van Morrison's compilation album called Philosopher's Stone from 1998. And the title of the song I will explain itself is The Street Only Knew Your Name. Chris, go ahead. Well, I've always been a Van Morrison fan. Um, I I make maps. I, I use uh, drones to make maps. And those maps, uh, my deliverable includes uh, features on that map and assets, uh, the, the, an attribution assigned to the assets for which I've, I've collected. Uh, for example, if I'm working for a utility company, I'm capturing telephone poles. The, uh, we need to know what type of uh, pole it is, how tall that pole is, what the uh, the engineering uh, number, uh, the the catalog list of that of that pole is. So there's many attributes. Now you'll notice Van Morrison only only puts two attributes to in the theme of that song: the 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 street uh, and and the name of the person that it is assigned to. Um, my duties are to to assign all attributes to a particular feature that can be assigned to, to, to that with AI uh, helping considerably in the in the in this modern uh, time of, of map compilation or cartography. Thank you very much. And I just want to read a little more about the song because I didn't know anything about it. It's a nostalgic tribute to the importance of your roots and memories. It suggests that no matter how much you might achieve in life, the memories and experiences of early days on the street remain a vital and important part of your identity. The street symbolizes the beginning of life where one can find love, friendship, and support. And that's very, very interesting. Thank you. And there are little references to Good Golly Miss Molly, Tutti Frutti, Bebopaluba, and Blue Suede Shoes, evoking the musicality and vibrancy of the street culture that is the backbone of the song. Did you like that, Chris? And and what really gets me, there's a, there's a lyric in the song that says, Katie and Ron. When I was a senior in high school, one of my very good friends quit his senior year of high school uh, to go on tour. He was in a rock and roll band, and he opened up for Black Oak, Arkansas. <laughs> and and now his wife's name is Katie, and they have they since now they sell uh, RVs, um, but they do a bar band every Saturday night, and it's Katie and Ron. So it, it's it's an interesting. Uh, 
it means it isn't tied together with anything, but yet it is only in my mind. And tell them if they need a drummer with red suede shoes and red sticks and a red Ludwig drum set and Zildjian cymbals, I'm available and I'm in Tennessee. So it's not that far away. There you go. Looking for a band. Thank you all for the quotes. Delightful. Appreciate it. And thanks for the explanation. Steve, we're going to start with your prediction. I put it in the chat for you. Let's go with this. And if anybody has a comment, just wiggle a polite finger at me and I will call you for a one minute commentary. Otherwise, I'll move on and Chuck, I'll have one ready for you. So Steve says, AI will spark the imagination of lay people and youth leading to the development of innovative business and software models for commercial drone operations. Interesting. Steve, go ahead. Yeah, I think that um, uh, each generation finds new uses for what we call technology. So the technology that we saw 20 years ago is just boring, a utility. But that utility becomes useful in the minds of young people. And I'll give an example. My nine-year-old daughter is always saying, in regard to drones or air taxis, what if, what if, what if? And she's done it so much, it led me to write a children's book, a series of children's books regarding the conversations she will have or she has with her friends um, that says, hey, this drone can do this for us or this drone can do this for us. And now tomorrow, let's take it out five, 10 years from now. It's not just going to be the drone as we know it today. It's going to be the smarter drone. It's going to be the drone that is specific to a certain use. I think that the the, the younger generations uh, don't appreciate the technologies they have as much, but they appreciate the convenience of it. And, and my last example is they don't appreciate technology. They have a back button. They have a back. We didn't have back buttons that changes how you conduct your execution of things every day. Knowing that you can fail and just hit a back button changes everything. So that's why I think the world's going to open up for these guys. Thank you. I have a comment from Martin, but first, Stephen, what are the names of your books that you wrote? Uh, well, the general book is Ella Reaches for the Sky. Very nice. Thank you very much. Happy to see you. We discover things about people when we have these conversations. Martin, comment on what Steve shared. Go ahead. No, I, I, Steve, I, I love your, your opinion. And I want to tie it back to what, what Alex said earlier. Um, you know, the the cell phone with wings. Uh, I think I think Steve is onto something because we've seen the same dynamics with cell phones. Uh, today, you have everybody in high school developing iPhone apps. I think Steve Steve is right that just given another five, 10 years, you will see everybody in high school developing an, uh, a drone app because it's so pervasive. And because it is just, as, as Alex pointed out, it's just a cell phone with wings on it. And you can diff get different perspectives and you can get elevation rather than just sitting at, at street level for everything. So, yeah, I totally agree with you, Steve. And and uh, I have to look up your book. I have two little kids and they're probably going to love that one. So it's on Amazon. Good. good. See, we made connections here. OK, good. Anybody else? Because I'm ready to move on. We all good? OK. Thank you, uh, Martin, for referencing so many of the panelists. I appreciate that. Let's go to Chuck. Prediction number one. The number of autonomous AI-controlled drones will far surpass manually piloted craft. Do we have a year on that prediction, Chuck? Two years, five years, ten years? Anything you want to pin on it? It depends upon uh, how fast the government relaxes certain regulations, but my guess is 28 or so. 2028. And, and uh, the, the interesting thing about this is, is that this is these drones are doing many different classes of missions. 
quite a lot of them might be delivering cargo. And about 70% of the things that you get in the Amazon trucks that you see pervasively, you know, belching diesel fuel, maybe someday using batteries, uh, those things uh, could be delivered by drones. About 70% of the packages are within the, the physical uh, volume and weight envelopes of what uh, a reasonable sized cargo drone could potentially deliver. And instead of, you know, next day air, uh, you could have it from the warehouse in a half hour if the warehouse was within a few tens of kilometers of you. So that's a that's a game changer. But the problem is, is, is it might take a fleet of 500 drones to serve an Amazon warehouse and the 100,000 people around it. Um, I don't want to have 200 pilots running those drones, right? I want to have those drones almost all autonomous, almost all the time. Now, sure enough, once in a while, you're going to need a human to, to step in and intervene. You know, like there's a, a squirrel on the porch and I don't want to squish it. So I'm going to figure out a different place to land. Or or maybe there's a flock of geese that I have to work my way around. Or or, or maybe I, I have a failure of something and I'm looking for a safe place to ditch my drone. Uh, those kinds of things uh, probably will always require human intervention. But I would say that 99% plus of the flights that we'll be taking at the end of the decade, not just for cargo delivery, for electronic news gathering and for police surveillance and and for uh, you know inventory and security on construction sites and all this stuff, all of those things are going to be autonomous. We can't afford enough pilots. We can't train enough pilots. We don't have enough chairs to put those pilots in. So the number of autonomously navigated landed uh, mission assigned drones uh, will far exceed those that have an actual human on the stick. We require regulatory relief to do that because right now the so-called beef loss rules beyond visual line of sight rules are very uneven depending upon what jurisdiction, what country you're in. In fact, what parts of the United States you're in, there's different beef loss rules. Uh, tribal lands tend to be much more relaxed. And uh, as a result, uh, you know, we, we, we can't we can't scale because we have to have, you know, humans with with eyeballs on drones and hands on sticks. Uh, fully autonomous drones don't need that. And that's what's necessary to scale these services up to the next level. Thanks. Thank you. Interesting prediction. Any comments? Anybody? Any any hands? The, the, Go the, FAA, the FAA does have the initiative, the FAA, uh, FAA 28, I-28. So the goal is to be at this maturity level, which is around five or six. We're at one or two now. But six says, hey, there are going to be thousands of autonomous drones in the air. How do we regulate this and what infrastructure is required? So in line with what Chuck's saying, the industry is pushing toward regulation. I'll add that there is some significant um, infrastructure requirement for the ground folks, for municipalities, cities, states to deploy to make that possible too. Thank you. Anybody else? We good? Okay. I would agree with Chuck. Yeah. Okay. Good. Nice to know. <laughs> Thank you. Alex, you're up next. I put two of your predictions, and this touches a tiny bit on something Chuck said. So let's see. Alex predicts, everybody listen up. This is cool. A crime will be solved in the next year because of drone footage. That's the first prediction. The second is a crime will be prevented in the next five years because of a drone bodyguard. I like to put those two together, Alex. I think they work. So, Alex, talk to us. Unpack. Sure. So, the the first one, police departments around the country, uh, if not the world, are, are starting to use uh, drones more and more. 
Uh, and more often than not, the drone as first responder is the first first one on the on the scene uh, of a of a call for nine one one before anybody else can get there. And so, you know, I watched footage in a, in a meeting of a workshop uh, for this just the other day, uh, where the, you know the drone found the people fleeing, you know, the criminals or suspected criminals fleeing a crime scene, you know, before anybody else got there, and was able to follow them and, and keep an eye on them. So. Uh, undoubtedly, um, that that speed to to the right location is going to be key to solving crimes, and, and it's, it's, it's happening today. Um, on the drone bodyguard, um, so the story of this starts uh, back to uh, about a year ago. My uh, daughter, who is a, a pre-doctoral research um, researcher in economics at Princeton, she came home um, for a short time, and we went to dinner. And she was very distraught, understandably, because a student uh, uh, at Princeton had just been found dead um, by the tennis court late at night at 2 a.m. one night. And so, you know, without knowing you know, too much, because not much had been released about the cause of death, we sat down and brainstormed, how can we prevent this from ever happening again? Um, and I think the key is to make sure that nobody ever needs to be alone if they don't want to be alone. Right, students walking alone, at, uh, you know, late at night on a campus probably don't want to be alone, and they should be able to not be alone. And and so the Drone Bodyguard allows that vision to come to life by allowing a student to press the button on the Drizzit app, uh, have a drone leave its nest uh, somewhere on campus, uh, find the student, follow the student uh, whilst looking at the student and streaming that footage in real time to somebody that the student authorizes, for example, campus security or campus police. Um, that drone can, first of all, you know, now, now the student is not alone, there's a security guard or police uh, watching them. Second of all, if a person runs into trouble, the drone can speak and say, you're being watched, you're being filmed, police are on their way, you can stop what you're doing right now. Um, and so it's way more effective than just a camera. And as soon as a student arrives uh, safely to their destination, they press another button on the Drizzit app and the drone flies back uh, to the nest where a robotic arm swaps a battery uh, and within seconds is ready to go again while charging five or six batteries simultaneously so it's available 24-7. That is available uh, you know, pretty much today. Uh, and so I think that that will be a, a standard at, at campuses around the country and around the world. Because if you can save students, I mean, I get a, an alert uh, for every time there's a there's an assault or rape or murder on campus. And unfortunately, there's an alert every day. Um, and so why not have eyes on the sky, eyes in the skies to prevent this uh, when it's possible? Thank you very much. I was thinking in a in a strange way, don't be mad at me, Alex, but so many crime dramas on TV, so many detective shows show somebody walking across a bridge, down a, a lane, on a dark street, not on campuses, but that's the core of finding the bad guys is what the show is all about. If we had those drone bodyguards, it would it would change the the face of Detective shows, I'm sorry. <laughs> they'd have to find some other way to commit the crime if the drone was watching. Or they'd have to say, oh, we know that drone number 4567ABW.3 was watching him, and we know who killed him. Anyway, Alex, forgive me for that. Anybody have a comment on what Alex you, said? You actually make a really good point. Uh, uh, 
ahead, which is that I, I so one of the, what yeah you make a really good point. I, I heard a masterclass for one of the master writers of, of fiction once that says most of the most of the stories, the great stories that I've were ever written, are not well, couldn't be written in the age of the cell phone because all the things that you know. Hansel and Gretel couldn't find their way back home. Well, if they had a cell phone, they, of course, they could find their way back home. And that's true for most challenges in most books. So the same thing will be true for most true crimes with uh, with drone bodyguards in the future. Thank you. Chuck, go ahead. Yeah, I think that uh, certainly solving crimes, preventing crimes is a really excellent use for drones. But I think that there's a lot of public safety related uses beyond that that we could talk about, too. Uh, so, for example, there's lots of interest in, in drone detection and mitigation of wildfires. If you could, if we could have found the campfire when it was 10 square meters rather than 10 square miles and, you know, dropped a couple of uh, suppression bombs on it, uh, we would have saved a few billion dollars of California insurance payments. Um, you're not going to be able to get a human out there in time before it spreads without uh, bound for control, but you might be able to get a drone out there. So that's one example. Another example of public safety is uh, you could potentially take a look at environmental mitigation. So you could find places that you think are are spilling toxins or whatever you know maybe maybe even just something like a gas station somebody somebody uh, makes a little gasoline spill on the ground you could have a drone that sort of pops out of the roof of the gas station and goes in and, and mops that up before it turns explosive I think that uh, healthcare is perhaps one of the most interesting uses for drones um, we can carry samples from remote clinics to central laboratories we can carry drugs from central pharmacies to remote clinics and we can save a lot of lives by closing the speed of that loop. Certain places in Africa, uh, you can sort of see the clinic across the valley, but it takes you five hours to drive there on a motorcycle. Uh, you, you know, that's a really excellent opportunity for a drone to carry that stuff around. Um, we think that there might be drone nests distributed around the city full of first response medical gear, uh, defibrillators, EpiPens, Narcan injectors, and I'll extend your prediction saying that a drone's going to save somebody's life because of timely delivery of medical care that the drone can provide um, probably within three years. Thank you. Very, very interesting. Thank you, Alex. I'm moving on to Martin. <laughs> prediction number two, I put it in the chat for you. Martin says, more powerful processors and sensors allow us to do more and more processing in flight. Things we see today are collision avoidance. Where we want to go is to have 3D LIDAR processing. I know this is in Chris's wheelhouse. 3D LIDAR processing and object recognition in flight. Martin, unpack, please. Yeah, listen, uh, I have to give a thanks to Chuck, who kind of primed the topic for me. So when we're talking wildfires, one of the reasons why the wildfires happen is because inspections didn't recognize what's wrong with the, with the transmission tower or the, with, the, with the power pole in this case. So that's sort of what we're talking about here. Yeah? Why can't, can we not have a drone flight across a power line that automatically, A, detects in flight what is a power pole, what is a transformer, what should I run a circle around in order to identify that object? And then also with the, with the sensors we have, as far as infrared sensors, we can measure temperatures. We can figure out whether or not there's an insulation problem in a, in a power line, which can cause sparks. You know, all of those details are something that we want to do ultimately in flight. What we can already do today is fly the, the drone with a sensor pack underneath it, record all the information. But what we're doing right now and what we have to do right now, because we're not quite there yet where drones are, you know, have a really big, you know, computer hanging underneath. Um, 
that's kind of why we still download um, all that that information, that massive amount of data um, into an, an external system and do the processing, you know, once the drone has landed and, and sort of spilled out its guts. But I believe that three to five years from now, we're doing all of that in the air and we can then do um, make decisions on the fly to, to Chuck's point, you know, if we see that something is is out of balance, I can call and initiate a truck roll right then and there to have technicians going up the pole and fixing that issue before I even land, before I even done the processing that is currently happening offline. So, so that's sort of where drone and AI come together for us. You know, we're working on the 3D uh, analysis. So we can already uh, identify objects in the two-dimensional space. That's sort of what the what the Teslas of this world do, you know, in, in sort of uh, accident avoidance, et cetera, et cetera. But what we want to take it is to the full 3D object recognition, which we think is taking it a step further and makes the the, um, the uh, recognition of the object and damage is much more accurate than what we can do with a just plain old two-dimensional picture. So that's sort of what we're looking for. Um, and yeah, uh, we, we're pretty much already there. A lot of that can be done today. Uh, we're not quite there where the, the drone has the necessary um, granularity sensor pack. You know, there are various challenges, you know, that were mentioned by Steve and Chuck before around FAA regulations beyond um, flight. Um, but, but yeah, that's sort of the vision that we have as well to say, okay, we are automating and creating efficiencies in standardized processes. And frankly, then we can run this inspection process every other week. Uh, and we don't have any, any person have to drive a truck around. Um, we just send out the drone, we analyze the results and we feed that right back into the business systems, uh, without any manual intervention in the middle. Thank you. Very, very interesting. Any comments from anybody? Uh, Chuck, first, very brief, because I, I have one queued up for, for Chris next. Chuck, one minute, and then Alex, go ahead. Yeah, I think we're, we're needing a hierarchy of processing resources for drones. So I've flown a thing called the Jetson Nano, which has got 132 processor cores on a drone. It's well within the size of the the weight and the and size and the and the power envelope that you can support on the drone. But beyond that, I think you need some edge computers. You know, you need you need some kind of landing station or something associated with the cellular network that'll do the uh, the, the the next level of computation. And then there might be a few layers of edge computers before you get all the way back to the cloud, where you got those honking big servers with six hundred sixty thousand GPU cores on uh, on something like an NVIDIA uh, DGX server. So so all of those levels operate. And they they peel off the particular part of the image processing and and artificial intelligence machine vision algorithms that they can work on at that level, and then they send the rest to the next layer. Thank you, Alex. Go ahead, one minute. I think that we will have. I mean, I'm agreeing with uh, violently with Martin and Chuck. Right? I think that uh, there will be higher, just like there's higher level operating systems, higher level software. There'll be higher level of software operating on top of the drones where you don't even need to worry about instructing anything to the drone. You will say something like, you know, take this pie from my grandmother's house, you know, to her grandkids' house. Uh, or you will say things like, go inspect uh, the whole theme park and let me know if anything needs maintenance. Um, and so you haven't mentioned the drone. You haven't told the drone where to go. You're just saying what you need, and the drone just happens to be a you know camera on wheels or or a, or a taxi on wheel on, on fly, sorry on, on wings that goes and executes on it. Thank you very much. 
Are you ready, Chris? I have a prediction from you I'm going to read. Okay. I am. Chris says, AI and auto feature extraction will not totally eliminate manual interaction. Auto feature extraction is the term Chris uses to describe the functions of AI machine learning software that claim without human interaction to auto auto collect, plot, and attribute map feature assets into a digital geospatial mapping environment. Wow, was that a mouthful. I hope I said it right. Chris, rescue me. Go ahead, you, unpack, you, please. You, you, you did. And again, my wheelhouse, so to speak, is the geospatial or cartography making maps, attributed highly accurate maps from that. Um, am I being a naysayer and saying that the, the visual component of this will never be removed? Um, looking at the speed of the evolution of our technology, maybe I am, but Martin hit on a, on a good thing here. The real-time processing of, of the data is certainly, um, if we were to look for causes of wildfires, for example, um, the LIDAR data is not a small file as it is being collected. Um, um, so there is some processing time. Uh, Real-time, will AI software get to the point where it recognizes uh, a particular um, uh, asset or a problem as it is flying along? Um, I'm not sure. I can, I, can, I can tell you that I can give you an example. Um, both, I flew one project with a drone, a LIDAR, high, um, high resolution LIDAR and imagery. And also I drove that same project ground level with a mobile LIDAR unit mounted on the back of our van. Um, it was a test area where we had already gone in and semi-automatically extracted features um, within that scene. And we ended up with 98 power poles, a combination of wooden single poles and power uh, structures, uh, to twin beam type of uh, towers. We had 98 in our, in our deliverable, in our client accepted deliverable. When I then used some, we're working with the company uh, Brain Trust, uh, some young people out of Carnegie Mellon University right now on some AI feature extraction software. So I gave them the two test data sets, my LiDAR, my mobile ground-based LiDAR, and my airborne drone-based LiDAR. And in the airborne, which is a different perspective, they were able to automatically extract 60 of those 98 poles. The mobile, the ground-based LiDAR acquisition, because it's, it's, it's on the ground looking at these features from a different perspective, they were able to map 97 of the 98 poles. So um, what does that what does that say? Perspective, the the angle of attack, so to speak, the view is very important, I think, to the success of, of this ex extraction software. Um, but to deliver a feature like that, had that one pole been missing from my delivery, well, then the client wouldn't have been satisfied. And Murphy's Law says that one pole would have been the pole that they needed. So there's, in the end, there still needs to be, and as Chuck mentioned earlier, if we've got a thousand drones in the air, there still needs to be some manual, some visualization, some manual hands-on control of, of this. Thank you, Chris. Technology. Very interesting. Anybody have any comments? I have a couple of one-minute slots left for comments on what Chris just said. Stephen, go ahead, Steve. I, I will say that uh, to Chris's point about 
Brown perspective, we, we um, and this, is, this goes back to 2015, we deployed an array of edge processors that essentially turned streetlights into eyes, right? So you've got a computer on a street post every quarter mile. And what we were able to do then is say, based on what you see, I want you to learn and tell me what those were. So we were able to say, hey, that's a bird. Okay, great. And then it learned different types of birds. It even learned the specific bird in a migratory pattern that was passing over. And then we were able to say, tell the difference between a drone and an airplane. Tell me different types of drones. Now we're going a bit further to say, take that huge processing power and now do a number of other things, pass that data back to me so that now that my connection, that's what we do, to NASA, can now take NASA's machine learning algorithms and provide a strong method of traffic management for that particular space. So we're not doing anything new, we're coupling all of these innovations together to accomplish the things that we require, especially in the case where Chris says, hey, we need more eyes on things. We have those eyes available, we just need to teach them. Thank you, we need to teach them. Chuck, 30, well, one minute, total one minute. Go Chuck, go, go. A question for Chris, you think that the, the problem that you suggested between aerial and ground-based imagery is a question of AI model bias. There's very famous stuff about, uh, you know, for example, face recognition models don't recognize dark skinned people because not as many dark skinned people are in the training corpus. Is it possible that there's all this data from Waze and Apple Maps and all these places that are from the perspective of vans driving on the ground, but precious little data in the training corpus from aerial imagery? Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And my, my, um developers who I'm working with um it has asked for more sample uh drone data so that they can teach uh, it, it's interesting because in my mobile in my ground-based mobile lidar feature extraction um more weight is put on looking at the lidar data versus the imagery I'm collecting imagery stereo imagery at the same time on on, on the ground collection but more weight in the past, historically, has been put on looking at the LIDAR data or having our semi-automated feature extraction software look at the LIDAR data. The imagery is nice, but don't put a lot of stock in it. Do your vital measurements on the LIDAR data. Um, Chris, uh, we, but, we have to go. And we're going to, you know what, I'm inviting you all back for part two. There's so much more to talk about. This was <laughs> a huge topic. We've been doing Chuck and Steve, we've been doing drones with me this topic for years. I don't think we've ever had this much information on one show. Chris, I apologize dearly. Oh, but we got to okay. go. So everybody want to raise your... I will, darling. I called him darling. I know him for 22 <laughs> minutes. Everybody, raise your finger. You're going to say with me on the count of three, no, no, no. People say the future is already here. Come on. People say the future is already here. And our answer is one, two, three. No, 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 no. 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 Come on. You can do better than that. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. That was yesterday's future. Or when I was thinking of that sentence, it's already gone. We're going to do our best to Put the future in flight, the dance of AI and drones and intelligence and human intelligence, too, and make it a much better future. Bonnie D signing off. Martin, don't go away. We're going to take pictures. Everybody wave goodbye. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now.